Our gospel lesson for this morning will serve as the basis for our children's devotion, also for our sermon. It comes from Luke chapter 10. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Good morning. How are you guys today? Good. We're going to play a little game. I'm going to start a phrase, but I'm going to leave two words at the end, and we're going to see if you know what they are. I'll point to you when it's your turn. This is something that you might say to a brother or sister. This is something that maybe a grown-up might say to you if you're working on a project. Ready? Don't just sit there. Do something, right? You ever heard that before? Yeah. Don't just sit there, do something. If you are told by your mom and dad to clean your room and you're working with a brother or sister to clean the room and you're working hard to clean it and they're just sitting there doing nothing, you might say that to them, right? Don't just sit there, help me, do something. Well, today... Jesus is going to take that phrase and he's going to flip it backwards. He's basically going to say to us, don't just do something, sit there. He's going to say, don't just do something, sit there and listen to my word. We just heard about two sisters who were hosting Jesus for dinner. And one was scurrying around the house, trying to get everything ready. And the other one was just sitting there listening to Jesus teach. And today we're going to learn that as important as it is to serve God, and as important as it is to serve our neighbor to do something, it's actually more important to just sit there and listen to Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, you have given us many good things to do in serving you and our neighbor. And yet sometimes we forget that as good as these things are, there's something more important. Sitting at your feet and and listening to your word. Sometimes your word is just not as important to us as doing all the things in our life. We ask you to forgive us for this misorder of our priorities. We ask that you would help us to better understand what you say to us in your word, to better appreciate why it's so important to listen to you teach us about the forgiveness of sins that you won for us on the cross. Be with us as we sit here today and listen to your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I've always found it interesting to spend a little time studying generations. 
I've been to a number of pastors' conferences in my uh, little over 10 years of ministry where we would focus on how to reach millennials or, or how to reach Gen Z. It can be kind of an interesting thing to, to compare similar uh, context in which a whole generation of people may have grown up in our country. Similar things that were going on, big events, things that were being taught, music that was on the radio. And as you study those things, you might see some commonalities between an entire generation of people based on similarities in their respective contexts. It's not just generations, though. It's really anybody who has something in common, you'll notice similarities in them. And one thing that I've noticed is how people view their possessions often is tied to how they grew up. If they grew up having plenty, they might view possessions one way. And if they grew up, let's say, in need, they might view their possessions a different way. Might look something like this. A person finds an old tool in a drawer, a tool they haven't used for three, four years. Or or maybe this little small appliance that once served a purpose in their life, but it's been on the shelf for three, four years and it hasn't been touched. And when seeing that, the person who grew up in need might look at that thing and say, you know what, I might need that again someday. I think I'm just going to keep it right where it is. But the person who grew up having a lot, having plenty, might look at that same thing and say, you know, even if I did need this again, I could probably find another one or I could buy another one or one of my friends has one, he could lend it to me. I'm going to get rid of this clutter. How we view what's needed can be dramatically impacted by how we grew up how much we had or, or didn't have. Take it one step further, if God in his infinite wisdom were to strip away all of the creature comforts from our lives, take away everything that we know and love, our view of need would change once again. We would be focused on only the things that we truly need for life. Water, food, clothes, depending on the climate, shelter, right? The absolute bare necessities. In a way, today we're talking about what's truly needed. And the shortest reading we had is our sermon text, this little short section from Luke chapter 10, probably a familiar section to most of you, I'm guessing, maybe, maybe new to some of you, but Mary and Martha, I know that's in a lot of Sunday school lessons. You probably heard sermons on this before. It's a very simple, straightforward text, kind of like we brought out in the children's devotion. It's a don't just sit there, do something kind of scenario. No surprise, right? If I had told you the context that there was a sister who wasn't helping her sister, you probably could have figured out how it was going to go, even if you'd never heard it before. There's a couple interesting details I'd like to just share with you before we dive in a little deeper. So if you'd open up your worship folders again to to Luke chapter 10, first thing I want to draw your attention to is that very first phrase, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way. Now, those of you who have been here for a little while, 
you know that a few weeks ago, we were at the end of the previous chapter, Luke chapter 9, verse 51. And we talked about how Luke chapter 9, verse 51 is a transition point in Luke's gospel. That's when Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem. He's heading to the cross. That's his goal. And Luke continually drops little phrases like this as Jesus and his disciples were on their way. He's referencing Luke chapter 9, verse 51. They are journeying toward Jerusalem. They are on their way toward the goal. So they're on their way. They come to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home. And this is significant because Martha is the focal point. Martha's the host. Yes, Mary was there. Yes, Mary was a part of the family. Probably was Mary's house too. But Mary's not the focal point. Martha is the one who opens her home and welcomes in Jesus. That is significant. But then, of course, we hear that she has this sister, by the way, called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. And that's when Luke describes Martha for us. And this first description is really interesting. Martha was distracted. It literally means pulled. Martha was being pulled this way and pulled that way. Things that had to be done were dragging her all around the house. It's kind of an interesting picture. She was being pulled around by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to Jesus and she said some pretty strong words. Now, if you were here last week, you might remember we looked at a setting where Jesus was in a large crowd. And there was one man in that large crowd of thousands who had a dispute with his brother about the inheritance. Remember? And he said, Lord, tell my brother to give me my share of the estate. He was bold enough to stand up in front of the whole crowd and to give a command to Jesus. That's how convinced he was that he was in the right and his brother was in the wrong. Same thing here. Only might we say just a little stronger because before Martha gives the command to Jesus, she says this, Lord, don't you care? Whew. Can you imagine saying that to Jesus if he was a guest in your home? Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her not to just sit there. Tell her to get up and do something. Tell her to help me. And see, the interesting thing is, Martha's kind of right in the sense that these are good things. Martha's literally serving God. How could serving God be bad? Serving God and serving her neighbor, God in the flesh, at the same time, and she's pretty convinced that her sister should be doing the same thing, that that would be good. But of course she's not. She's just sitting there. And then you just hear Jesus' love, don't you? I... I'll admit, this is speculation, right? The words don't tell us the tone with which Jesus said the words. But can't you just hear Jesus saying, Martha, Martha, with a smile on his face. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed or indeed only one. 
Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, I'm not going to let this turn into translation bashing time, but this particular translation misses something that's very, very clear in the original Greek. So here, we, we hear, you are worried and upset about many things, and then only one comes at the end of the next phrase. But what Jesus literally says is, you are worried and upset about many things, one thing is needed. So right next to each other, many things, one thing, many things, one thing, many things, one thing. The contrast could not be more clear. You are being pulled around by many things. You are worried, upset, anxious would be another word here. About many things, one thing is needed. And the one thing that's needed is what Mary has chosen, and it's the better thing. What's been pulling you around lately? I think sometimes it's easy for us to think to ourselves, the things that pull me around, that distract me from time in God's word are bad things, sin things. And I think if we're all honest when we're young, that's definitely the case. The things that pull us away from God the most when we're young probably are sinful things, right? But as we get older, a little more mature, we're more aware of how sin has attacked us in the past and maybe God in his grace has even helped us fight off those sinful things. That's good. We know the grace of God shown to us in Christ on the cross. We want to say thank you to him And so we're intent on serving God and serving our neighbor with everything that we do. But yet there's this warning for us. If we're not careful, the good things, serving God and serving neighbor can can hook up to us like we're the trailer and they're the locomotive or the tractor. And off we go, getting pulled around day after day by all these good things important things. And the result is we're all worried and we're stressed and we're anxious. One thing is better, time in the word. Martin Luther is famously quoted for saying, I have so much to do today. First, I'll begin with three hours in prayer. You ever do that? Boy, I got a big list of things to do today. I better stop and pray for three hours. And what Luther meant by prayer was not babbling to the Lord for three hours. You could certainly do that. But his idea of prayer was a little healthier than just talking to God for three hours. His view of prayer was conversation. Listen to God's word, ponder a truth of God's word, and then talk to God about it. Then listen to God's word, ponder a truth in his word, and then talk to God about it. And just do that over and over and over again. And many of his peers often commented that he wasn't exaggerating, that he would actually start his day with three hours of conversation with the Lord, listening to his word, talking back to the Lord, maybe pondering how that particular portion of his word had helped him better understand his sinfulness, asking God for forgiveness and for the strength to to, to better serve him that day. And on and on he'd go. So often we do the opposite. We, we look at all the things that are ahead of us that day, that week, and we arrange, we organize all that stuff in front of us because we think we know what needs to happen to get everything done that day. But the problem is we don't know what's going to happen that day. 
We have no idea. We think we know, but we don't. Mary and Martha did not know what was coming. Jesus did. Mary and Martha had no idea that their brother was about to die. Jesus did. In John chapter 11, when Lazarus dies and Jesus shows up, quote-unquote, too late, remember what Martha and Mary say to him? They both say beautiful things. Martha says, Lord, I, I know I will see my brother again at the resurrection. She had been listening to Jesus. And Mary says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Also true, she knows who Jesus is and what he's capable of. She had been sitting at Jesus' feet. Jesus had been preparing them for what was coming, and they had no idea what was coming. And when you and I begin our day in prayer, when you and I begin our day sitting at the feet of Jesus, not doing something, but just sitting there, our God is preparing us for what's next. Our God's preparing us for what's coming Our God's preparing us for what's about to happen. And yes, there are things that need to get done. There are people who need to be served. And our God loves our service to him and to our neighbor. But it is better to be served by Jesus than to serve him. We come to worship. We so often think it's about what we do for God. We come here We praise God. We pray to God. We serve God with our offerings. And those are good things. God loves those things. But they're not as important as what God does for you here. As God, through his word, humbles your heart and shows you where you went wrong last week, as God, through his word, humbles you again, and shows you that Jesus gets all the glory for our salvation with his death on the cross. It's our God who serves you through bread and wine that in a miraculous way is the very body and blood of Jesus given and poured out for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins, which you will soon receive from the God who has provided all that you need. It's to see this font Even if weeks and months go by without a baptism, yours happened. And at it, your God made a promise to you. He said, I have put my name on you. You are mine, my own dear child, robed in Christ's righteousness. When you come here, it is not about what you do for God. It's about what God does for you. That is focused worship. And so as you find yourself pulled around and worried and anxious, may those things become the voice of Jesus calling out to you saying, don't just do something. Sit at my feet. May that distraction, that worry, that anxiety be the thing that triggers in your mind the need to sit at Jesus' feet and be served by him. Amen.